in the series of soteriology. I'm so glad that you guys are listening today. This is part three, part three of the series that we've been looking into a little and talking about, which is soteriology, which is the study of the doctrine of salvation. So yeah, this is part three. Um, I am excited to talk about this last part, although I am a little sad. I am a little sad. I'm not going to lie because I've actually really, really enjoyed talking about this topic, not just because, you know, it's an important topic that we as Christians need to talk about, but because the more we know theology, you know, the study of God, the more we love God, the more we'll worship him in truth because we know the truth of God's character. We've studied the truth of, of who he is, who he has revealed himself to be in scripture. And so I am sad that, you know, this has, this series has come to an end, but I encourage you guys to keep studying the word of God, keep studying what the scriptures speak on in terms of who God is, in terms of salvation and all the above, you know, just keep, keep studying these things. Okay. So just a quick summary about the last two parts that we've talked about. The first part, I believe we spoke on faith versus works. So how does one become saved? We've learned through Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, through Titus 3, uh, verse 5, through all of Romans and Galatians that faith is, or a uh, salvation comes and is obtained through faith alone, apart from works. And we've also learned that just because salvation is obtained and we are justified before God through our faith in Christ, that does not mean that works aren't important in the Christian faith. We've learned that because we are saved and because we love God and the Holy Spirit is in us, we will naturally produce good fruits. We will naturally gravitate towards doing good works because we love God and the Holy Spirit has changed us. So that was the first part. The second part of the soteriology series, we talked about, can a Christian lose their salvation? And we've learned and we've seen through many scriptures that according to scripture, a Christian, a true believer cannot lose their salvation. God will keep those who come to him. We've seen that in John 8, um, John 10, We've seen it in Jude, in the book of Jude, that God keeps those who belong to him and that he will never lose any of those that come to him. We will never lose our salvation because it is eternal, right? And if we lose an eternal salvation and eternal life, then it was never really eternal to begin with. It was temporary, but scripture doesn't say it's temporary. Scripture defines eternal as eternal. So those were the two um, topics that we've talked about in part one and part two. I encourage you guys, if you have not listened to it, to go back to listen to it. But today we will be talking about the verses that seem to imply that one can lose their salvation. So there are a couple of verses, and we're not going to get through all of them, but there are a couple of passages in the Bible that a lot of people tend to go to, to hold on to the doctrine of, hey, we as Christians can lose our salvation. So we're going to look at those passages. I think I have like about three of them. I think there maybe are two or more of these, but we're just going to focus on these three. And 
really read scripture in context because when we read scripture in context, I mean, I I, read, I, I say that a lot. <laughs> I always feel like I'm a broken record with certain things that I say, but hey, um, it never hurts to repeat myself. But we have to look at scripture in context. When we look at scripture in context, we look at the history behind why the author wrote his letter and what 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 the purpose of the writing was for and everything like that. Then we really start to understand what scripture says and what God intended for his scripture to to mean and to convey, right? I hear this particular question a lot when it comes to uh, people looking at certain scriptures to point to the fact that one can lose their salvation. And the question a lot of people ask is, well, why does the Bible warn us many times that there will be so much apostasy or falling away from the faith? You know, if people fall away from the faith or, you know, they're considered apostate, then why, why can't they lose their salvation? Doesn't that mean that they have lost their salvation? And so this, this type of thinking and this type of questions have caused a lot of people to, you know, question the doctrine of eternal, uh, of eternal security. And they tend to assume that, well, then my eternity isn't secured. And at any point in time, after I have put my faith in Christ, I can lose it. And so if we're asking these questions, it definitely has to be addressed. You know, we got to address these questions so that we can better understand God's word. And also, I really do feel like it will determine how we live. Like I said, in the last episode, how we view salvation, how we view eternal security, how we view scripture, it will determine how we live our lives. You know, that's just, that's just natural. (laughs) But we have to look at our terms again, right? Terms must always be defined. At least I've learned personally in my life (laughs) that you just got to define your terms. So let's just define the word apostate. So apostate is usually someone who quote unquote professes to be a Christian, right? So it's a person who professed to be a Christian that has left that religious context. But this person, according to scripture, was never really a true, genuine believer. They never had true, genuine faith in Christ. You know, they were never Christians to begin with. Um, I believe Matthew 13 speaks on this very well. You know, I think you should read it whenever you get the chance, but the Bible teaches over and over and over again that as we stated before in the last two parts of the series, that if you walk away from the faith as a believer, then it just means that you were never really a believer to begin with. Even if you've, you felt like you've done signs and wonders and you've taught people and you've, you've sang with the church and all these things and did all these wonderful things. If you walk away, that just shows that you really weren't a Christian to begin with. So warnings, I, I personally believe that warnings in scripture about falling away from the faith, I believe they're a place there um, to encourage, number one, to encourage believers to be sure of our salvation, to have that assurance and that confidence that we are saved and to examine our lives, you know, so that we'll be able to see if we truly are God's child or we're just pretenders, right? So I think that's one of the reasons why warnings about falling away is placed in scripture. But also I think another reason is that um, it helps to equip the church to spot false converts, to spot pretenders, or as scripture says, to spot wolves in sheep clothing. 
I think it's placed there for us to do it easily with great discernment. And so those are, at least in my opinion, the two reasons why I feel like warnings are placed in scripture, not to warn us that you can lose your salvation, but to warn us that, hey, are you truly a Christian? Are you truly a believer? So yeah. All right. So let's get into the scriptures that a lot of people go to, to assume that, um, we can lose our salvation. And I'm going to hit on the biggest one first, because this is a, not even just a passage per se, but it's just the whole entire book, or at least majority of the book that people go to, which is the book of James. A lot of people will quote the book of James to, to, to imply that we can lose our salvation or that we can just work for our salvation. We have to work for it. You know, so by using James 2.24 or even the passage about, you know, um, faith without works is dead. A lot of people will see that and say, well, because we're saved by our works, hey, look, we can lose our salvation if we as Christians sin or do bad things. We can we can lose it. But here's the thing about that. Like stated in the last parts, the Bible cannot contradict itself, right? The Bible is God's authoritative word. God is not a liar and he doesn't contradict himself. And so we have seen that all over scripture, passages tell us that we are saved by our faith and not by our works. We are saved by our faith and not by our works. We have seen it so many times. And again, go back to the first part. That's where I talk about it the most. There are so many scriptures. I don't even think I highlighted every single scripture. I mean, I just can't do that, obviously, because there's just way too many. But scripture tells us over and over again, right, that that we're saved by our faith alone. And so if James, if people think that James is telling us that we are saved not by our faith, but by our works, or at least a combination of our faith and our works, then something, we have a conundrum. We're, we're in a conundrum. <laughs> something is off here. And the Bible is contradicting itself because one place is saying we're saved by our faith. Another place is saying, no, we're saved by our works. So which one is it? But as we all know, the Bible does not obviously contradict itself. We, how, how do we reconcile these two seemingly different positions? You know, it seems different. So how do we reconcile it? Well, reading scripture in context, right? So we know that Paul and um, James are not talking two different things. However, they're just coming from two different angles. So they're not opposing one another. Um, again, we, we just need to look, we need to read it in its context. When we read the book of James, let's just talk about the book of James, right? If we read the book of James in its context, we can see that number one, James is coming from a different viewpoint than Paul. And we'll get into all that. But James is coming from a different viewpoint than what Paul was talking about or what all the what all the other authors were talking about when they stated that faith is uh salvation is through faith alone. And then number 2, reading the uh, the book of James in context, we can actually see that they are in agreement with one another. <laughs> they are actually in agreement with one another. Um so let's just focus on the first part. We see that if we read the book of James, we see that James is is asking the question, how can you tell if someone has truly been justified by God. How can you tell? How can you look at a person who says that, hey, I have faith in Christ. I've been saved by faith alone and tell if their faith is actually genuine, if their faith is actually alive. How can you tell? You know, we can tell as humans, 
looking from the outside, we can tell that someone's faith is truly genuine and someone's faith is truly alive and real through their life, through their actions, through their works. And that is where Paul, uh, sorry, that is where James is coming from. He's not saying that we are saved and we receive salvation because of our works. So that that's basically the question that James is talking or is answering throughout the book. James is constantly throughout his letters speaking on the demonstration of real faith between individuals, right? And we see that even in James, um, James chapter two, verse 18, we see that because it says, hold on, let me read it. It says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And I think that's the key word, by. I will show you my faith by my works. So James is saying, you know, someone will say, well, yeah, you have faith and I have works. But the true response to that is, okay, well, I'm going to show you that I have faith by the works that I do. James isn't saying that I am justified before God by my works. But however, before man, our faith is is demonstrated and proven alive by our works. So <laughs> that's that's basically the whole nutshell of what James is saying. Um, James is not anywhere. If you read scripture, James nowhere has ever made the claim that justification before God is through our works. But, you know, that 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 phrase, that phrase is never there. You know, he's he's again referring to how how can someone believe you when you say you have been saved by faith in God? If someone says they have faith, but that faith that God has placed in them does not result in evidential works, then one can only doubt if that person really has true, genuine, saving faith, you know? Um, so like we said in, um, like we said in our last part, in the last, I think part one of, of this series about sanctification, God cannot come into a believer's heart change it. The light of God illuminates it. You know, we become a renewed man and then nothing quote unquote renewed is shown through our life. That just does not make sense. Cause then again, God will be proven to be a liar if that doesn't happen. Because even in his word, he says that we are new creations. When we come to him, we are new creations. Therefore all things are all things become new gradually over time. All things become new. And so if you claim to be in Christ, however, you don't have a new nature and nothing has changed in you, then probably the Holy Spirit really isn't in you and you're not a Christian according to scripture. And and that is, again, where James is coming from. If God changes you, it will show. It's going to show, Okay. You know, it's going to show. So you look at someone and they say they're Christian, but they're living like hell seven days a week and they have no good fruits. You can assume that that person really isn't a Christian like they profess to be. We can assume that. Right. So that's the main point where where Paul, oh, not Paul, but where James is coming from. And that's why he says in verse 24 that you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone, meaning that. In context, it means that before man, our faith is made known by our works, meaning again, meaning that people will see that God has truly changed you 
through your works. Your works do not save you. Again, I'm going to keep repeating that. Your works do not save you. It does not earn you a spot in heaven. It does not make you justified before God. But before man, your faith is it's, is seen and, and, and is shown through your works. So it's it's the evidence of our salvation. So that's that's that. And then the second part is we can see, like I stated before, that Paul and James, they are in agreement with with one another. They're not in opposition to one another. They don't contradict one another. The same thing Paul says throughout his letters about true, genuine faith. You know, he says true, genuine faith will inevitably produce good works. And that is the same thing that James is saying here in more detail, basically, than what Paul was saying. We are saved and justified before God by our faith alone and not by our works so that no one can boast, says all of scripture. Now, James is saying that we'll all be able to see if that faith is genuine, a.k.a. alive or not real, a.k.a. dead through the fruits that are produced outwardly, right? So that is what the book of James is saying. This text is not talking about how one becomes saved. James, the book of James, he's not, he's not talking from the, from the perspective of how can one become saved. He's talking from the perspective of, okay, you say that you're saved. You say that you have faith. Okay, prove it show it. That's where he's coming from. And so if we can't, um, if we can't work for our salvation, which we see in the book of James and all the other letters, and even in the um, Old Testament, like I stated in the last part, you know, if we, if we know, if, if we see that we're not saved by our works, then one being able to lose their salvation because they didn't work enough for it, you know, as if we could ever work enough <laughs> to meet the standards of justification before God. But but one losing their salvation because they didn't work enough is not scriptural. It's not scriptural because we are not saved by our works. Therefore, we don't lose our salvation by our works. So that's the book of James in a nutshell. I know that was not thoroughly explained. Okay. <laughs> But I just wanted to kind of give an overview of what the book of James is talking about. Go back and read it. Go back and read it in this context. Um, align it with scripture because scripture always interprets scripture. So align it with scripture and then, you know, make your conclusion. I, I believe that's what James is saying. Um, so, yeah, another passage that a lot of people go to is Philippians 2, 13, or I guess 12 through 13. And this scripture is usually used to instill fear into people that, hey, look, you can lose your salvation, right? Philippians 2, uh, just 12, right? It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So yes, work out your salvation, that's what a lot of people will say. Work it out. See, that means you have to work. I mean, salvation comes through works. Therefore, if you don't work it out, you can lose it. <laughs> but let's read that again. At least the last part. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What is the key word there? Out. Work out. It doesn't say work for your salvation. Because we cannot work for our salvation. It says work it out, which is what 
we kind of learned in, in the book of James. You have that salvation. Now work it out. Now show it. Now prove it and prove it in a way that is, is done with great fear and trembling. This right here is the process of sanctification. This is what sanctification looks like. When we have that salvation, right? We're not working for it because this doesn't say work for your salvation. It says work it out. Like stated before, you know, the work, the whole sanctification process, it makes us more and more like Christ. So we're to work out the salvation we already have so that we press on to the goal of becoming more and more like Christ. Like um, I believe the chapter, Chapter three of Philippians mentions. And so we as believers should should work to demonstrate our faith in our day to day lives. And the last part says with fear and trembling. So meaning we're we're not going to we're not living out our faith in our day to day lives with anxiety all day long. You know, the Greek word for fear is translated as either, you know, respect or reverence. You know, so we are actively living in obedience to God out of respect and reverence for him and love for his commands. Not not as if it's a burden. Like scripture says, those who truly love God, his commands and obeying him is not a burden to us. It's out of love because we love him because of what he has done for us, because of the sacrifices that he has um, he has done for us, because he has made us new. He has saved us. And so we obey him and we work it out. We work out our faith through obedience. So that is what that is what Philippians 2 says. And as you can see in verse 13, in verse 13, it, it is God who enables us and works in us to even want to desire to do what is good. You know, that, des- that, that desire comes from God. Verse 13 says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So God does all the work. He does all the work in us to obey him. It is the Holy Spirit that helps us to do it. So basically to use this passage to suggest that, you know, we're saved by our works. Therefore, we can lose our salvation would contradict everything that scripture tells us. So Philippians 2 verse 13 is not arguing that we're saved by our works. Therefore, we can lose our salvation. Right. So the last the last passage that we're going to look at for now is in Hebrews, Hebrews 6. And I think this one, it's Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. And I'm not even going to lie for me, even for me, this is a more difficult passage to interpret. But when you when you read it, regardless, even if it's a little more difficult to interpret than all the others, it definitely doesn't teach that one can lose their salvation. So Hebrews 6. It says, for it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the power of the age to come, and who then turn away from God. It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance. By rejecting the son of God, they themselves are nailing him to the cross once again and holding him up to public shame. So just by, again, just by looking at the passage, it is slightly more difficult to interpret, but there are usually two main interpretations concerning this passage in which, again, neither of these interpretations and just looking at it, it doesn't refer to a believer actually losing their salvation, but 
there are usually two main interpretations of this text. The first one is that the writer of Hebrews is trying to make a point, right? He's trying to give a point. He's trying to make a point, sorry, by giving us a hypothetical statement or I guess a hypothetical scenario. And, and the point the author is making is that it's impossible for a true Christian to lose their salvation, then repent, and then regain their salvation back again. Then lose it all again. Then repent again, you know, all over again, crucifying crucifying um, Christ to the cross over and over and over again. Like stated, this, this would mean that Christ's sacrifice on the cross was insufficient to cover all of our sins and wasn't enough the first time. And so it would be like us having again to crucify him over and over again. So it's impossible for a believer to lose their salvation, then gain it back. Since believers are saved once and for all, since Christ died once and for all. And so that is, is most likely what this author is saying. A true Christian who has experienced and tasted of the goodness of God can't fall away from the faith and then come back. It's impossible because they can't lose their salvation to begin with. So it's impossible for them to fall away and then come back into to repentance. So the author makes this point by presenting an argument based on basically false premises so that, a tr you know, once again, a true believer can fall away, hence lose their salvation. That's a false premises. This passage is saying that if that was the case, then Jesus would have to be sacrificed over and over again, which is senseless in the end, right? It's senseless in the end because like Hebrews, Hebrews states, Christ died once for sin. And that's it. I think that's in Hebrews 10. Christ died once for sin. We don't have to keep crucifying Christ to the cross every time we sin. <laughs> so it's impossible for a Christian to lose their salvation, then regain it since salvation can't be lost in the first place. Um, so that's usually the uh, one of the first interpretations of this text. Now, the second possibility or the second interpretation that a lot of scholars believe this is what the author is saying is Basically, that the author is describing non-Christians rather than Christians. You know, the author speaks of unbelievers who were once convinced. They were once convinced of the basic truths of the gospel. They partook in a lot of the experiences of the church. You know, they tasted some of the goodness that a lot of the um, a lot of the believers tasted, but they never came all the way to true saving faith. So these are the type of people that this author is mentioning, basically false converts. They intellectually knew things, but spiritually, their hearts were still closed off, still closed off to Christ. And so those who treat Christ this way in contempt and re-crucify him, you know, through their rejection of him and through a lifestyle rejection, there's no hope. And it's impossible to bring these type of people to repentance. You know, this type of rejection and, and this type of departure from what they knew, it, it's impossible. It's impossible for them to come to repentance because they are they, they are rejecting, 100% rejecting Christ, even though they saw and they knew a lot of a lot of the truths, you know, of the gospel. They're holding him up and they're holding Christ up in contempt. And so. That is most likely what the author is saying in these passages. Now, regardless of the two interpretations that a lot of scholars believe could be the meaning of this 
verse or of this passage, we can see, we can clearly, well, I don't want to say clearly because it is a difficult passage to interpret, but we definitely know even though it's a little difficult, we can see that this passage doesn't mean that a true Christian can lose their salvation because if one thinks that this passage means that a true believer can lose their salvation, you would have to then come to the conclusion that it also means, according to this passage, that it's impossible for that Christian who has lost their salvation to ever regain it back. So once you lose it, it's gone forever. That would be scary for some, right? Because there would be no hope. You believe, oh man, I'm a Christian. I've fallen away from their faith. Dad, there is no way I can come back to Christ ever again. But that's not what this scripture is saying. You know, we know no scripture speaks like this and no Christian for centuries and in history have believed that. And so this scripture is not, is not implying that one can lose their salvation if they have truly been a Christian. So I just think it's important that we read scripture in light of scripture. And of course, all scripture bears the same conclusion that our salvation is secured and it's impossible for a genuine Christian to be lost or to fall away. You know, the eternal security of believers, it's biblical. It's all over scripture. You know, even in first John, first John in many places, but in first John five, I believe 13 and et cetera, especially, especially the whole book of first John, but it states that a Christian can have assurance. We can have assurance and know that we are safe. There's no guessing, no doubt. There is a way to know and to be secured in that. I've spoken to a lot of, um, a lot of people in different religions where, you know, I've asked them the question of, well, how do you know you're going to make it to heaven? And a lot of them state, well, I don't know for sure. But I just know if I could just work it, if I could just, you know, hope, if I can just make sure I do this and I do that, then God will accept me in. And I believe a lot of Jehovah's Witnesses have that, that, that fear that maybe, maybe I may not make it. But that is not we, that is not how we as Christians live. We don't live in that type of way. We don't live with that anxiety. We don't live with that doubt or that, that guessing game. Christ has made it, has made a way for us to know that, Hey, you, once you come to me, you are eternally secured in me and I will keep you. Philippians 1, 6, it says, you know, that God promised, he promised that the work that he started in us, when we first believed in him, he will continue it and bring it to completion. Again, God is not a liar. <laughs> so if he promises something, I'm going to hold him to it. You know, if he promised that the work that he started in me, he's going to complete it. That is security right there. Because I know that man, <laughs> I don't have to worry. Christ will complete the work in me. And it's him that's doing all the work, right? And so, yeah, those, those are the main three passages that a lot of people use or that we tend to see as describing a Christian losing their salvation. But when you really look at it and read it in its context, we can see that it is not describing a Christian losing their salvation, um, but the opposite, that we can't lose our salvation, that we are saved by our faith. So I just want to say, like, I, I know everyone... I know everyone is at different places in their faith, right? 
You know, some are still babies in Christ and others are mature in Christ, eating solid food. I I understand that. So I, I personally don't think that if someone believes that one can lose their salvation, I don't necessarily think that that person isn't truly saved because, you know, they, they believe that. I just think that maybe they just haven't studied scripture properly yet to come to that conclusion. You know, proper study of scripture will help us understand who God is and understand the road to salvation and understand what that looks like. And so we have to do our due diligence and really hone in on what scripture says and take that time out. I know our lives are busy, but that is no excuse. You know, we can't stay uneducated and I can't stay uneducated. I need to continue to grow and grow in in the word of God. You know, it, it, it takes time. It takes time and growth in the word of God to really understand his scripture. And also, of course, the Holy Spirit even helping us to understand what his word is saying. So I don't I, I don't think I, I definitely don't want to make a um, absolute statement and say, oh, if you believe that one can lose their salvation, you're not a Christian. I don't want to make that statement because I don't fully think that's <laughs> that's the case. I just think that person is just not fully understanding what the word of God says. And it's, it's, it's okay. Just read the word of God. Just read, read the word of God, pray for wisdom, pray for understanding. And I believe the Holy Spirit will make his truth known. But I do think, I do think that one who believes a Christian um, can lose their salvation will most likely live in such a way that is filled with anxiety An ungodly fear that, you know, at any moment their salvation can be taken away because of one act of sin. You know, that is not, like I said, when I was reading um, the passage in Philippians, that is not a way to live, to live in anxiety, to live in ungodly fear. It's a terrible way to go about our lives thinking that we have control of our own salvation. We determine through our works if we're saved or not. That is prideful and that is a terrible way to live. You know, the word of God encourages over and over again and encourages us to live with assurance and hope and confidence in his saving work for us and his ability to keep us forever. You know, God is able to do that since we didn't work to get that eternal life. We cannot work to unearn that eternal life. And so I encourage all of us to examine all of scripture thoroughly and just pray for God's wisdom. As we read our day, as we read our word daily and consistently pray for wisdom. And of course, do not neglect good works because we should be doing good works. If Christ truly saved us, but do not live in fear. Look at scripture. I, I encourage you to look at, read the whole book of First John for assurance and determination of, hmm, am I saved? Do I really know God like I say I do? So that is all I want to say. <laughs> so thank you so much, guys. I know, I know it seemed like a lot or maybe it wasn't a lot. Maybe it was not that much information. I don't know. But I do want to thank you so much for sticking with me through all three parts. I I appreciate that. Um, if you have any questions or anything that I have said in any of the parts, or if you have a argument or a or a concern or just something you want to to get off your chest, I don't know. <laughs> just contact me. You can DM me on Instagram or again Anchor. You can leave a message in Anchor if you have those questions. I I encourage it. And I think it's great to have healthy debates and healthy talks around these 
subjects and topics. So yes, this is Soteriology 101, all three parts. <laughs> all right, guys. So that's all for me. I enjoyed these. I enjoyed this series and I hope you did too. And I also pray that you will continue to be encouraged in the word of God. So I love you guys so much and have a great day. Bye.